everybody welcome to another episode of cinefleck how is everyone doing today i have to apologize i had my first major technical difficulty on this episode i uploaded this and the whole intro was muted it's the first time i uploaded a podcast and was like i won't like listen to it through it'll probably be fine i listen to it through every time and i've had no mistakes and of course like i majorly messed up uh so i apologize to anyone that heard that initially um this week on the show, I had Charlie, my theater boss, to discuss Strange Little Cat, a movie that I hope you guys will all see before listening to this. We delve really deeply into the movie. And then next week, uh, next Monday, I will have uh, Jason, um, Jason Huang, on to discuss Cinema Paradiso. This episode I'm super, super excited for. I actually just recorded it. Um, and I got a text at the very end uh, from Lexi saying like, hey, there's like a two minute silent chunk in your podcast. So I lost the intro re-recording it. Um, <laughs> anyways, I really hope you enjoy this episode with Charlie and stay tuned for Cinema Parody. So next week, hope you enjoy. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Charlie. This was this is amazing to have you on. Um, oh, my pleasure. We just finished uh, Strange Little Cat. Okay, Paige wanted to say hi. Hi, hi Paige. How you doing? <laughs> he said hi. How you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, yeah, we made we made uh, we made rich coffee today for the drinks, which was your suggestion. They turned out oh, really yeah. well. It's uh, it's coffee with um, creme de cacao. Yeah, and, and uh, Fernet Branca. Farnet Bronca. Very, very good, actually. Um, I, I sit down because it's like the hottest day of the year, and I think you did the same. Yeah. Uh, it, it is like way too hot outside. It was 102. Uh, but yeah, no, fantastic drinks. Fantastic drinks. And, and, and a really, really good movie, honestly. I, I'm, um, it feels like a dream. Like, I, it was the first watch for me, and so I don't, like, I'm sort of worried I won't have too much to add to this conversation. <laughs> like it was, it was really like a mesmerizing experience just seeing the whole thing. And it's only like hour 10 and it's just, it's just day in the life and it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it, you know, runs. Yeah. I think even under, if we're talking about like on-screen imagery, I think like 68, 69 minutes. Cause like the credit roll is like three minutes. So we're getting real brief there. Yeah, for sure. Um, this was this is a film that I saw like a few years ago on um, on movie, and I've been thinking about it a lot um, under quarantine. It's a film that is about you know the navigation of like kind of crowded close quarters. Yeah, you you mentioned that it was mesmerizing, and it does kind of feel like a very specific state of being not so much like a compelling story necessarily or a narrative through line that that builds traditional suspense but yeah. it does use image and sound to sculpt an atmosphere or a mood um that that i think is, is very effective and powerful uh, especially for like a you know this is like a first time filmmaker i think this project was their oh their really ticket, wow their ticket out of film school 
Um, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. That, that, that's crazy to me. I, I brought up to you um, on text that it reminded me a lot of like Ozu and Bergman as well. Paige brought up the good point that I think sort of adds depth to her backstory, which is at, at the dinner conversation, um, the aunt says something like, you seem so much calmer. Or yeah. you seem so calm, which sort of implies that she had previously had a breakdown there i think yeah there's like if the simmering kind of just below the surface like violence that yeah it seems like it always has the potential to if not erupt to surface in in kind of interesting ways like you you know we notice right off the bat within the first 10 minutes of the movie there's that looming shot where the mother's foot is hovering over the, the titular cat, well, maybe not the titular cat, but the- I think the, the titular the actual, cat, right? Yeah, yeah. Tough, tough to say, the director won't confirm or deny who's or what is the strange little cat. Oh, who's the strange because, little like, cat, the gotcha. Cat, the cat in the movie's pretty normal. It's an orange, adorable cat. But anyway, uh, not to digress. Yeah, the mother's foot is like looming over it. And it is kind of, it's a, it's a threatening posture. It is, it is kind of, um, it, it follows up her anecdote about that kind of about the stranger uh, that, that that threatening over proximity of a stranger in a movie theater right which uh which clara the her youngest daughter uh, has the takeaway that that story is about grandma saving mom is clara's understanding of that moment which um, is which says more about clara than anything yeah. else yeah i mean yeah. i mean i mean clara is sort of a fascinating character in, in this whole thing and that like i also mentioned that like she's sort of the only one that actually is able to express herself and and also the only one that is outside of the apartment in present day like not in a flashback which was also kind of weird yeah i don't she, think she i don't a, think anyone else friend with the hacky sack yeah i don't think anyone else exits the apartment i don't think there's any other like scenes that aren't in flashbacks outside of the apartment and it almost entirely oh, yeah. exists in that one kitchen too which is mm -hmm. like the, the kitchen is just about half the film if not more yeah, yeah, it's it's an incredibly central space, and Clara is pretty much I would I would designate her as, if not the POV, the point of view character of the film, at least um, that her level is the point of view level of the film. We we're dealing with a very low static camera for the most part, and I think that that lowness is 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 pretty essential because it. Um, it disorients what would be a very normal domestic, uh, you know, domestic chaos, everyone fluttering in and out of, of the various rooms. Um, when you're only getting these, these movements in, in, in kind of parts and pieces and, and uh, you know, fleeting glimpses, you know, even though the camera itself isn't moving, uh, there's just a really over-compressed over space. Um, it's it's super yeah. it's super super overcompressed, and then you have these you have these certain like I think there's maybe th three times that sort of cello music comes in again where yeah. it's like the few moments where everyone just kind of leaves the space, and then you're kind of seeing either what they left behind. I, I mean, you almost are seeing it from the point of view of an animal. I did notice though that like speaking of the camera that that. Um, that it sort of lingers almost half a second too long in every sh shot. It's almost like the camera is as like lethargic as the mother, just kind of like it, it stays on the it stays on the Connect Four game after they finish. Catch like also I mentioned to you, there's a complete Connect Four game in, this, I in love, a very I short love movie. The Connect Four game because it, 
I just love the transformation of that visual, you know, yeah. from, from a mostly empty blue to, to this, you know, this wonderful uh, piece of collaborative uh, pop art and then back down to that, that, you know, blue, uh, you know, kind of web structure between herself and her shirtless cousin, maybe. Cousin what, what or I, brother. What I really like about the, the vagary of the, the familial, uh, like, network here is that it, it uh, frees me from having to keep track of it too closely. Like, there is something uh, just, just kind of liber liberating about, like, okay, I just have to observe without necessarily, uh, you know, spending too much effort tracking uh, everybody's specific relationships outside of, you know, whatever immediate moment they're in, which I think is maybe um, uh, part either that could be part of, you know, Clara's point of view too, that there are so many people coming in and out of this house constantly. Right, right. That, you know, specifics of relationships may not have gelled so concretely. We have two of her older siblings that have at some point probably within Clara's um, memory, moved out of the house. Karen and Simon, I believe both used to. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, right. To live there. And, uh, you know, and then we have this invasion of like, yeah, I think an uncle or something and some cousins. Well, you definitely got an uncle in there. Definitely yeah, I was... Uncle. It ain't a movie I... without an uncle. <laughs> it ain't a movie without an uncle. Yeah, like I, I was sort of, um, I think it's interesting that you say it sort of freed you of that. Like, I felt like, I was supposed to pick up on something that like I already had missed, <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm watching this all wrong. I don't understand oh, what no. the relationship's on. But I mean, that's, that's good that I, that I didn't miss anything too crucial. Yeah, uh, that's like, I, I have a lot of reluctances about like, even though I've, I've loved this movie and I've seen it like five or six times now. Yeah. It's the only DVD I've bought in like the last two years. <laughs> I don't I don't like go around like being like, oh, you gotta watch The Strange Little Cat. Um, and, and part of it because like, I think that how to, how to approach it without it being a real, um, without it becoming either, you know, a boring or unengaging experience can be, can be difficult for me to sum up because I, I've, I've lost track of how to speak about movies, uh, but, I, but I think there's something like, you know, kind of compelling and atmospheric about it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I was, I, I, I was also trying to think about like, while I was watching this movie, like the things that really make like a Charlie movie. Yeah. And, I think, and I think that like to have a Charlie movie, the two that I immediately thought of are, it has to have animals in it and it Absolutely. has to be yeah. pretty low budget. <laughs> For sure, okay, um, that's fair. Atmospheric? Would you say it has to be atmospheric? I would say that if your film is not atmospheric, whatever it has in place of atmosphere, uh, if if that is sufficient, then then I can go for that. It it yeah. whatever operational <laughs> definition of atmosphere we're working with is is pretty yeah, that's your atmospheric's pretty general. Yeah. Okay. Are there any other are there any other like criteria that that are necessary in a Charlie movie? I, I think I, I think animals think, and low budget I think, are very I think literally essential. it's just um just animals pretty much is the only criteria. I wouldn't even say low budget necessarily. Yeah, that's I true. Have a pretty, I have a pretty high opinion of some pretty high budget um, motion pictures. Um, yeah. But I, I would say the animal thing. Uh, yeah. I when, haven't seen you as excited at the Stanford Theater as when we played that Quentin Tin movie. Oh my and god! And you got to yeah. put up the marquee for that. Oh that my, was the, that was incredible. When the when Rinton Tin put on the fake mustache to uh, like <laughs> fool someone about, I'm like, oh, this is great. <laughs> that was That's incredible. A fucking film right there. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I, I should probably say that Charlie was my boss at, at the Stanford Theater for a long time. I used to work at this theater. Um, I also mentioned it on the podcast with Paige where um, we've, we had our first date in whatever, 2013 or something. But then I started working there one of my summers after college. I worked there a few summers after and Charlie was my boss. That's how we, that's, that's, that's how we correct. know each other and everything. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, we, we played, we, we didn't do silent movies that often in the times I was there, but, but the Rin Tin Tin one was, was absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, we, don't do a ton of, we don't do a ton of great like animal movies though. And no, we really the, don't. That era of filmmaking, it's tough to find a, a decently, like a decent animal movie that isn't also like just watching an animal really get injured on screen. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> that's true. That's if you're, true. If you're they listening were not... to this and you want to know a good cat movie from the 1950s though, uh, Rhubarb, The Millionaire Cat. Oh, now that's a great, that's a great movie. Rhubarb, The Millionaire Cat. There's a scene where like a professional baseball player is like, you know, he's going up to bat and the entire crowd is just screaming at him, pet the cat, pet the cat. And he's like, no, I'm not going to pet the cat. I'm a big gruff guy. And the entire baseball stadium just boos the shit out of him. Oh, That's my God. Are movie. there any stars in this movie? Or is this just... Uh... Ray Moland. Ray, Mal- Ray Moland's in this? Ray Moland, yeah. He's <laughs> like the guy who inherits rhubarb or something. See here. Oh, more about the animals. So I found a German interview with the animal yeah. trainer of the film. Um, oh, this is great. Yeah, and um, so the dog and the cat in this film were roommates uh, prior to filming. <laughs> they worked so well um, together. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, dog's name is Ferdinand. I think it was like, I think he was seven. He was between seven and ten years old. I forgot exactly how, but he wasn't. Okay. And then um, I think the dog was cast first. And they, they got the cat in there too. I mean, I don't really know how you, how you control a cat there was this long shot where where um the sister's looking out the window and then after like 30 seconds the cat jumps up onto sort of a shelf at like the perfect time and i don't even know how you train a cat to do that is this is this when the cat is interested in the moth at first and then turns its attention toward a glass of milk a different shot but that's another like perfect timing of the cat jumping shot so yeah um, I guess uh, the way I would do it would just be to film the cat all the time and you know, <laughs> pray, pray that one out of the thousand takes is the one you include and then it looks like fucking magic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, however, if you're, if you're filming on a student film budget, I, don't, I have no idea. Because like, you certainly can't just have unlimited takes. Um, yeah, with- no, definitely, definitely. Oh, Paige just gave me some notes on the movie. Oh, my Paige God. Just, Paige is working on the other side of the table. She just passed... She just I passed don't, over. I don't necessarily come me. No, no, no. I want them to come from you. Let's just, let's just, you want to like come on the podcast for like three minutes and just like talk through a, your thoughts? I have a crack team of researchers who are working hard at providing me with notes too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a sweatshop over here. Dude, is, I'm, in you my, come I'm on in my garage right now. It is a sweatshop. Oh my God. It's so hot. I should be working, but I don't feel like it. <laughs> no, talk about your thoughts in the movie. You can have a little cameo right, on the podcast. All right. Hello. <laughs> um, so one, th- one thing that I thought was really interesting was the music, or I guess um, the score. Yeah, yeah, the score. Case, score. And I thought that it was, it was interesting because it was really 
repetitive and very technical, methodical, mm-hmm. kind of tactile, like very strong fingers, you know, just, um, you were know, saying it the, sounded the piece, like an exercise piece. It sounded yeah, like it someone sounded practicing like one of those a cello. technical yeah. exercise pieces. So the, the, the score, I believe, is all taken from uh, The More Shallows, which is a Bay Area, it's San Francisco uh, post rock band. Yeah, you um, mentioned oh, wow. so, so they credit like D, D. Kess, I think, as, I guess, is that the guy's name? D. Kessler, sorry, okay. as the composer. But I'm pretty sure it's just all taken from like one track off their first album. And just, oh, yeah, cool. you know, reused and, and recycled throughout the film as a motif. Yeah. And um, like in terms of musicality, aside from, yeah, kind of being influenced probably by like chamber music in terms of how the film is overall structured. Right. Uh, yeah. the, the director has spoken, I think, a couple times about like concrete music being a, a big influence of, so you have these two sides of, yeah, it's very, very technical, but there's also um, kind of non-instrument components and sounds that take on a, a musical or score-like quality as well. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting that the score is pretty much, yeah, just this one repetition yeah. from one song. It's very anxiety-provoking. <laughs> there is something uh, troubling, yeah. And there is something about, like, it's it's sort of repetitive and mundane, and that's sort of, I think I think it is sort of from, I mean, I mean, if there's one character, it, it's either from the mom or Clara's perspective. I don't, I don't know, but it's kind I of. I think it may, or maybe, you know, not necessarily one or the other, but that connection. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I almost expected when Clara, you know, was doing the, the wine glass, you know, trick, making the sound with a glass of wine, we cut back to the mother. It's one of the few times that she seems to be sincerely smiling. <laughs> And then we cut to her with a gla- with a glass of milk, and for a second I thought she was, you know, going to dip her finger in and start doing it, but she seemed to, you know, remove maybe a piece of ash or something um, from the glass before. It was the hairy it. milk, right? It was the hairy milk. Hair in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. That's no, actually another criteria for films. I only like films with hairy milk. <laughs> Which it's just this film and Visitor Q and that's it. Only two movies. I can watch. I'll have to make a. I'll have to make a letterbox list of of movies with characters for you. Thank you. <laughs> um. So what's your next? What's your next thought on the movie page? Well, while you're here? um, along with anxiety provoking. Um. Yeah, I was thinking that the the film you you really start. Is feeling that anxiety when the music is building. And then also, I think you already mentioned this, but those long pauses, those long takes mm-hmm. um, at the end of the shot, when the characters have left um, the field of view, you um, you end up with the, these pauses just on like inanimate objects. It's funny. I felt like at certain parts, it was almost like, a, like I was watching still life mm-hmm. shots. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like just a glass of milk or I'm, I don't know. A it's mom. the movie version <laughs> of a still life. Yeah, almost. kind of. I mean, yeah, I mean, Except everyday with, life. Yeah. Saying something. And, yeah. And, and, and it does sort of cross that boundary between like, it's, it's like a still life, but then it's also like teeming with life. It's also like way too much mm-hmm. life piled on top of it. It's sort of both at the same time in an odd way. Yeah. Or up, up and down in, in kind of waves. You'll have yeah. these, yeah. you know, these very full moments and then it empties out and you kind of become um, akin to one of the many times where we see a character 
silently, passively observing the others. Mm -hmm. And sometimes this observation will be, you know, kind of put at the end of one of the more digressive or crowded moments. Mm -hmm. And so you will have seen this, this scene play out and you will think, ah, I have seen a scene. And then we will cut to the point of view shot and ah, no, what you have been seeing <laughs> Uh, it turns out to have been someone else's, uh, someone else intaking this as well. Yeah, and so I the kinship see. is created very powerfully, I think. Um, that's a yeah, really that's good brilliant. point. That's a really good point. That's, yeah. that's it, it, hits, it hits me hardest with the, the image motif under the score of Clara's artwork, um, her little doodles of her family, yeah. uh, like, you know, feeding the birds or whatever. And it, and I'm like, thinking to myself, oh, it's nice that I'm getting to see this. I feel very privileged to see these great, you know, little doodles. And then it cuts to Simon having been really the one taking note of these things in the room. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, so this is really, I'm, I'm really kind of here in Simon's moment. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it is interesting the way it sort of shifts perspective and, and, and I guess, I guess, um, I guess in that way, it isn't really from one family member's perspective. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I guess what I was sort of heading at with the way the way the film sort of the the way the film sort of switches between between the mom and Clara is just it's it's just sort of the mood. Of I would say that they're of the prime concern of the film. Yeah. I would say those because it's sort of it's sort a dramatic of standpoint. This, yeah, yeah, it sort of switches between this like this just like this woman who's done and the camera's sort of done and then and then all of a sudden there's life again and and life is sort of represented by clara so it's sort of it's sort of they're sort of on the far ends of the spectrum but i mean yeah i don't know yeah uh there is um not a ton of writing done on the strange little cat yeah give it a few years um but there is <laughs> one really um you know uh, well, well written piece um, by Michael Sikinski, I think is the name, uh, titled The Poetry of Confined Spaces. And I really like the way that he sums up um, what exactly is possibly being performed by uh, Ramon Zucker here, uh, in that the film, quote, holds presumed meanings in suspension and wriggles around at the knee level of perception. And uh, wow. I, I, I really, I, I, I hate to, to have done research and I hate to be quoting, but it's Whoa, a good quote. So what am I going to do? It's yeah, a fantastic quote. It's a fantastic quote. That's yeah. a, that's On behalf a of Michael Sikinski, whoever that is, <laughs> presuming it's a real person. I Big said. shout out to Michael right. Sikinski. It's not just, it's not just Charles Takey's alter ego that he, that he track quotes. It, track him down. It's, it's when he's trying to sound smart at a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, will. I was going to say like it, it's funny how like you feel like, I feel like usually when you'd shoot like an, on like you'd, you'd view, um, I guess a scene where uh, two family members are having like a confrontation or something, you feel oddly comfortable with it because that happens in everyday life and um and just being in the middle of it you feel you feel okay with it but then showing the family members reactions you feel more uncomfortable because you're you you're um in a weird way kind of viewing it from the outside more yeah. than otherwise that, that that remove kind of puts something different at stake um mm -hmm. Yeah, we, see, we even see this in some of the anecdotes. There's the, the anecdote that Simon has about observing some, some woman's behavior that he can't explain and he finds inexplicable. 
you know, this, this woman's very intense subjective experience at the, what was it, a barbecue or something? Barbecue, bonfire or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, he, just, he describes these, like, you know, very disparate behaviors of hers, and he's just like, oh, no, who knows? And it's just like, okay, because <laughs> <laughs> you're at the remove and stuff, so it's very intense for you. Um, but in terms of, yeah, uh, I think what's scarier for me than any of the conflict in this film are the friction, supposedly frictionless moments where uh, there is that tightly choreographed movement through space that still has this overcrowdedness that seems to spike the character's self-consciousness a lot. Like in the very beginning, you know, they're moving past each other in the kitchen and they're grabbing dishes or whatever. And the mom pauses to say, oh, I have a pimple. I didn't notice until you brushed by me. <laughs> now that's something that's on, that's on your body, but you don't really you know, realize or think about it until you have to think of yourself as a body in relation to another. That's a really good point. Regardless of how supposedly used to them you are, or, you know, the, or, I mean, you're moving in, in perfect balletic dance with them through this kitchen. Yeah. There's still no, something there. Now, do you know what, uh, the, the, the director says this work started out as a very loose adaptation of a, of a book. Oh, really? Do you have a guess as to the book? It's, it's pretty famous. It has a bug in it. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, it has a bug in it. Bug? Oh, a no. famous bug. It's the metamorphosis, apparently. And oh. again, I've seen the film five times. I have a sketch of where I think he may have been influenced by the metamorphosis, but I think there have been too many metamorphoses <laughs> um, from source to this version. Yeah, good point. <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's super interesting. Anymore. I've not read the metamorphosis, but I know, I know. I, I think I think most of what I know about the metamorphosis comes from Jesse Eisenberg in the Squid and the Whale talking about oh, the metamorphosis. Off 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 podcast, we'll have a fun Squid and the Whale conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Squid and the Whale. That was yeah, a fun was one. Oh yeah, that was a recent watch for me. That was really fun. Yeah, but uh, but you know the the kid in the the library in that in Squid and the Whale. Yeah, that, that like smears his. Yeah, Absolutely. that's and that's uh, Noah Baumbach's little brother. It's his brother. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, it's an autobiographical film for the most yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah uh, you, Nico Baumbach, and he was a professor of mine in uh, no way at Columbia. That's so <laughs> no cool. way. Oh my god! So we'd all like sit there waiting for class to start and just kind of like we'd be talking about the squid and the whale probably half the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Um. Paige, did you have any more thoughts? Yeah. Um, one last thing that doesn't, I don't know if you guys have said this before, but it doesn't relate to our current conversation. But um, I thought that the foot story when they mm -hmm. were, when the mom was in the theater um, was really interesting. And I thought it foreshadowed, um, I guess her, emotions or kind of role in the rest of the film um, yeah. that she's kind of living in this uncomfortable situation very quietly and just kind of deals with it until someone else moves yeah everything's very close mm -hmm. and um yeah yeah uncomfortable. yeah she's i mean she's made the agreement like in the in that in the story that we think she wrote, there's that story on the table where the mother in the story agrees not to blink 
yeah. voluntarily because of of the tragedy of of her son, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think yeah, that's the the mother's in a tough place, I think, in this movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that she should just get like a Chevy and, and ride out to the <laughs> desert. Yeah, <laughs> looks like she needs it. She definitely, <laughs> she definitely needs a trip to Burning Man. It's a strange little cat too. It's gonna be <laughs> Harmony Corinne directing, and it's gonna be Burning Man, and it's gonna be great. <laughs> the mom goes to yeah. Burning Man, and I would watch that honestly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I honestly thought though it was a really good um, portrayal of someone in that situation that I don't think I've really seen. Um, or, in the, or it's done in the as theater. Well. Like the situation in the theater? The, the oh, no, I, I mean the, the situation that the mom is in in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess yeah. the way she feels about the way her life is going, I'm guessing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why, like why doesn't the lady upstairs move? You know, why, yeah. why do we create all of the solutions we create for our conditions mm-hmm. rather than change the conditions themselves? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, there are many questions at hand in the strange little cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, no, I brought up, um, I brought up Ingmar Pergman before, but like, I mean, I think, um, so the most recent movie I saw of him was Autumn Sonata. Okay. Which is, I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I've seen like a couple of the big Bergmans and okay, yeah. none of the other ones. Yeah, but is that's- Autumn Sonata good? Yeah, no, it's fantastic. So that's um, Ingrid Bergman's last movie, which also it it gets it gets extremely confusing because I already like picks up their names all the time, mm-hmm. like just just in conversation. I know who they are. I just their name. It just doesn't 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 work for me in my head. But yeah, Liv Ullman is her daughter in it, yeah. and so Ingrid and so Ingrid Bergman plays this sort of elderly statesly pianist who's like coming back home to see to see her daughter mm-hmm. again um and uh and and that movie like it starts out kind of like this where there's a lot of like tension under the surface specifically with like the Liv Ullman character and then that movie they really have it out I mean they have <laughs> it out at the end but this movie does not go that way at all it just it stays no. there and it simmers and it's all and it's all under the surface and that movie like it was almost a release like as a whole just because it really it really climaxed into this big this big <laughs> moment where they have her at they yeah i mean the, i guess the, the this film's version of having it out i think is just um the mother in the dark at the end uh you know telling karen you know very quietly about like the place where she sits with the strangers and it kind of sucks <laughs> yeah you know, of all places i like this place the best and Karen, yeah. her oldest daughter, just responds with, well, I'll be going. Yeah, yeah, that's about, that's about all the confrontation you get. Yeah, uh, yeah. And um, I mean, we haven't talked a ton about Karen, who is kind of like maybe a midpoint, chronologically at least, between Clara and the mother. Um, yeah. And her, her point of view is largely that everybody is, everybody is nuts. Clara is nuts, the cat's nuts. Um, <laughs> Just uh, the the inexplicableness of others overall <laughs> is yeah, really yeah, sure. really hitting Karen hard. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Karen is a really fascinating character, um, and we don't we don't really get much of her independently, other than just 
her views on other characters and mm -hmm. everything. Brief, very brief flashback um, with her in the park throwing the orange rind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what do you think about the orange rind? I, I, I have like a whole list of things that like, mm -hmm. it's like, what's the deal with this that I put down <laughs> in my phone? And is, I, is it for your, your Seinfeld homage, Strange Little Cat? <laughs> what's the deal set? with orange rinds? <laughs> I can't do Seinfeld. For an, an audience of three people. <laughs> <laughs> an audience of whoever saw the Strange Little Cat. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so like, what's... what's I, what's the deal with the orange rind? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think there's part of it that is, I guess, fate, potentially, mm -hmm. that every orange rind landed the same way up. It seems mm. that everyone's fated for, for, for pretty similar, um, you know, results, no matter how you toss them or whatever. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's, that's potentially, but again, that is, uh, you know, that's a, that's a presumed meaning. And I'm, I'm not sure if that'll hold true uh, next time I encounter the film. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think part of what makes this movie so interesting is, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it is almost as in-depth and, um, and difficult to analyze as some of these like classic films that I've compared it to, but like mm -hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't have the history of film scholars writing about it. And so we can really break all this stuff down and sort of have- yeah. I would say that as for a film that is kind of as inscrutable as it is, that it's not necessarily difficult, quote unquote, to watch or to break no. down what is in front of you, and you know, and what you know, and what sequencing and what the what the real emotional core of anything is. Some I, of the traditional specificities, yeah, are pretty fucking elusive. Who are these people necessarily? Yeah. Uh, you know, what concretely is going down? But all of the material is there. Um, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think I texted you in response to the one of the, the like the first image set. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, this is the, you know, this is the, you know, this is the what they have left behind, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if it's evidence or if it's uh, prophecy, um, or if it is both. Um, yeah, that was really well it's said. Just it's just what you got though. Um, just just briefly, I wanted to I wanted to move on to the rest of my what's the deal with questions. And then Absolutely. Uh, what's the deal with Harry Milk? I think we touched on that. Mm -hmm. um, what's what's the deal with the moth? Um, the moth is uh, um, like that's super fascinating to me because the the younger brother or cousin, the blonde kid, what's his name? The blonde kid, uh, yeah. Jonas, I think. Jonas? Jonas. Okay, okay. So Jonas Jonas finds the moth in the cabinet, lets it go. You kind of see it. The cat's the cat's fascinating with the moth. The, the the cat and the moth have a whole subplot, right? Yeah, yeah. And then eventually, the cat at dinner catches the moth off screen, which you only know from like Clara saying that he caught the moth. Yeah, yeah. I I, I want to note that yeah, at the screenplay level, uh, the the sound and image off screen was you know as fully written out as the on screen imagery and sound, right? Just yeah. in a different a different color of text so that everybody in the production would be simultaneously aware of like what is being compressed into the space and what is still at stake but out of view um you know maybe still in our ears and yeah there's some of the great ones yeah the cat with the moth i'm not sure what to deal with the moth maybe it's setting up a, a sequel with mothra it's tough <laughs> really to get, to get a grip on it um my favorite off-screen uh, digression thing is uh, 
uh, Karen doing the the gag where you like almost drool on someone, but then you suck it back up. That, and that yeah. being, that's great. That being referred to as something that just happened off screen. And I'm like, oh, that's, <laughs> it's great that that's just a little throwaway. Yeah. I know you feel like you sort of, you're, you're not catching all these amazing moments, but uh, I mean, that, that really is a great one. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. I totally forgot about that. Do you have any thoughts about on-screen versus off-screen, Paige? Well, I have you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely something that's unique about this film, and it definitely adds a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was having trouble thinking of comparable titles that do similar volumes of work at the feature film level with off-screen space and compressed space like at the same time of putting this so tightly somewhere and then being like, oh yeah, but really what you're paying attention to is over here. Uh, it's just think, outside of these borders. Yeah, no, completely. I think Roma does some of that. Have you seen? You yeah, seen Roma? Roma? Yeah. yeah. But like, I think, I think Roma, I think Roma has a little bit of that. Like, I think that house feels super alive, that house that mm -hmm. they lived in. Um, you kind of hear the kids off screen. And then I think Quaron does a great job with sound design in that movie. I'd say Quaron is a filmmaker is also very attentive. Yeah. Just yeah. in general throughout his work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think and, and and I think that and I think that the thing I always notice that I sort of forget about when like I step away and whenever I return to that movie, I, I really notice is the sound design in it. Mm -hmm. Sort of the way all the streets just feel like you're you're catching bits and pieces of it. Um and and in that way, it feels super alive. Um, I guess Robert Altman, but that's more in kind of a, it's it's more it's more obvious what he's trying to do in some ways with the overlapping dialogue. Yeah, and yeah. But um, or at least it, it, or at least it feels more obvious now. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. I guess those are the those are the two that sort of come to mind. But there's, I mean, nothing does it quite in the way that I've seen it done in this movie. I guess. See, this film like it flipped when I first encountered it. I had just been watching. Uh, uh, the Swedish director Roy Anderson, whose works are, yeah, long static takes, but big sets. Mm. The idea is that there is, you know, nothing else to see. It's the big image. Yeah. And so you can look for very small details within, but you see the full field. Yeah. And, and I think radically going from being really obsessed and interested in that form and then getting sucker punched with the strange little cat's completely opposite approach. Um, is part of perhaps why I fell like so so in love with um, with this particular piece of feline cinema. Uh, <laughs> also, the fact that like in, in that last couple minutes, you finally get like a sleepy cat close up doing some cozy purring, uh, being a good little cat. Like <laughs> it's solid. That's solid shit. Yeah, know? and it's watching the grandma sleep. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Which which leads into my last "What's the deal with?" question. Which I, we, then we can move on with it. Then we can move on with from from this whole line of questioning. What's the deal with grandma? Um, grandma, grandma doesn't say a word. Um, a couple of things I noticed. I don't like, and I just I just couldn't quite piece together the significance that he was leaning towards, but. Um, so when Clara walks into the room, uh, that's kind of, it's a very different color scheme from ev from anywhere else in the movie. Where yeah, that, the, that, the red room, the, the kind of room. alternate space where the the cat hangs out. I believe yeah. it used to be one of the one of the kids that moved out. I think right. that used right. to be their room. Yeah. Right. So, so there's sort of this red room. She she doesn't she doesn't really say anything, but 
um, but her like her presence just stresses the hell out of the mom, I guess. <laughs> For like, sure. Just just does not does not make the mom at all comfortable. The mom the mom lets the stranger's foot sort of sit on her uncomfortably, and she's sort of letting the presence of the grandma sort of sit on her uncomfortably. Um, but other than that, like I I don't I don't I don't quite understand what role she totally plays in the in the movie, I guess. Yeah, uh, the, I think the grandma is, you know, kind of enigmatic in that way of yeah. how little there is of her conscious. You see a lot of her either being referred to as asleep or sleeping, even at the, the dinner table. Um, Clara ceases her boisterous laughter at the, the squirting sausage um, <laughs> to observe her, her grandmother has like fallen into, into sleep and rest. Right. Um, yeah, uh, whether that's you know, this, this kind of uh, liminal state between, you know, the, the permanent, permanent sleep and, and regular sleep. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what the deal is with grandma specifically. <laughs> okay. I'm going to no. have to do a grandma watch and kind of... <laughs> Just a grandma watch. Keep, yeah, yeah. Keep a sensitivity out for it, you know? I for did sure. think it was interesting how, like, they really kind of highlighted... Um, I guess kind of like a lifetime of moments like like um Clara is so eccentric and just you know lively and doing whatever she feels like and then um and then you move on to her older sister who's not so much that way slightly more judgmental but again mm -hmm. like you said kind of in between the mom and Clara and then the mom's kind of lost that and she's a little more dull and Solemn. she has a lot of thoughts but she's not really saying them seems mm -hmm. like um and then you have the grandma that's just sleeping the whole time and yeah. I, I feel like you're kind of looking at the scale of yeah like what well, you know these these uh yeah these, these these stages and is mm -hmm. is that where we all end up do we all end up <laughs> rind side down sleeping at the at the table <laughs> i was about to say <laughs> yeah. Going back to the orange peel stuff, this idea that they, they kind of are the same, they kind of are the same characters and in, in some ways you can see them as that. I, I was also thinking that I think, I think one possible interpretation of the grandma is that she's just like, she's just like, she is the mom, like she's the mom's trajectory and she's kind of where the mom's going. If she doesn't, if she doesn't find her, her music festival in the desert in, <laughs> in Strange yeah. Cat 2, strange little cat too but you know like like she 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 is kind of she is kind of further down that trajectory yeah, yeah the only thing that the grandma i think really said was that part about the scarf where she was worried that someone right. was going to attack her in mm -hmm. the theater she like so yeah. i have my scarf around and she was like that way there's a knife there is a scarf between my the knife and my it, neck. and this is the thing is what is the grandma experienced in a movie theater in her life you know um that's true that's true the, the, the grandma as as a as a figure looking back uh you know it's probably for some you know all similar reasons that that everyone's winding up these ways uh yeah okay so that wraps up my what's the deal with question line of questioning um i think i think uh i think the only uh, and i think the only other thing i have in my notes that i just wanted to mention just briefly <laughs> is i think my favorite quote in the movie is She's cleaning up the vomit and feeding the rat. I yeah. just love that. I just love that every line. Time that like, line. Every time that line pops up, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not sure where this like <laughs> line came from, but here it is. That's just, that's just my favorite. That's just, that's, 
That's just my favorite line in the movie. Um, so I love, funny. I love like these little tidbits of what Claire is up to throughout. No. And I love how that ball just lands like in the like half clean. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my god. god. <laughs> She's just like, okay, gonna throw it over there. Yeah, now it's over there. Yeah, have fun with that. <laughs> one, one possible like gesture toward, um, if not necessarily like liberation or redemption. But like a last, uh, you know, th thrust at, at liveliness, because um, I have this like question: Oh, is is the mother doomed? Um, but this yeah. this gesture with the bottle toward the end, where she probably intentionally um, overloads it with a sparkling water and corks this this bottle that we've seen kind of spinning around in a pot, yeah, yeah. like magically. This this magic bottle that dances despite the fact that its momentum should have given up the bottle sh should not have been dancing that long yeah 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 so she intentionally overloads it um potentially uh corks it and it sparts sparts off and clara's reaction is very pronounced and you know clara points out that she see sees it hears it and feels it um yeah there's there's like something kind of, you know, touching about that, that moment, one last bit of chaos and one last moment of wonder for Clara to, to see, hear, and feel something, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I think uh, that may, that may almost be the most chaotic scene, even though it's so. That's the big action sequence. That's, of yeah. the, of the <laughs> Seriously, that's the big set piece. <laughs> is is the, the light bulb? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the light bulb exploding. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean that's like that's like that's like the equivalent of like the beach scene in Roma or whatever. I mean they have these little tiny moments, and then mm -hmm. and then the biggest moment is this light bulb going out and and uh, and. Um, and then fixing it in like 30 seconds. Like, you know, on like a cheap DVD where like they just put the most spectacular images from, from it on the cover because it's $3 yeah. and they need you to buy it. It's just, yeah, like a family, like being like, whoa, like, oh, the sparkling water bottle is slightly unhinged. <laughs> yeah. like, damn. It's so funny. That is like one of the few times you see the mom like really just laughing. She was just like, yeah. She has she has a real moment. <laughs> she does kind of have her moment there. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm always I'm always fascinated by movies that feel so like small but so epic. Um, I mean I mean for me like it it just it feels it's so small but it it feels so large and so impactful outside of its scope yeah. outside of its very tiny scope of basically just the kitchen. I I think it is because this this movie speaks to the motion picture art's ability to transform um, the reality in front of us into something that takes on an unpredictable meaning mm -hmm. or an unpredictable newness um, to represent itself uh, without, you know, fully shedding its form, you know, takes on some some new um, new quality. Um, and I think this this movie does it in a, a very uh, a very controlled and specific way that is clear without being nameable. Um, what I like about it is is that it is it remains enigmatic despite the fact that you can you you are not unaware at any moment that the movie is doing what it's doing. 
it's just that what it's yeah. doing is still to me kind of a question mark here. Um, but then, yeah, that small yet epic thing. The, the other movie that I was thinking of coming on here and watching was, it's called The Little Fugitive. It's a, you, ever, you catch that one? I, I've not seen this. I'm, 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 I'm trying to look up pictures from this now, but, but. Okay, well, it's like, it's a story just like these two little kids in New York City and like one of them, uh, they're two brothers and the little brother gets like tricked into thinking that his older brother is dead. And so he goes to Coney Island and just spends the day like messing around. Oh my God. Eventually the older brother has to like go find him and stuff, but it's like a, it's kind of neorealist, but it also has these moments of like very striking imagery. And yeah, that small, but big, that transformative quality of even the barest bones cinema. I guess maybe I do like the low budget stuff. (laughs) I mean, I think, I think you probably lean towards the low budget stuff. What else have I liked recently, though, man? Yeah, what um, else have you liked oh recently? God. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like looking through this list and the first uh, three titles I see are Tremors 3, Tremors 4, and You Don't Mess with the Zohan. Like, I have, I've been yeah, watching yeah. everything. Um, awesome. uh, Dragon Inn, I watched Dragon Inn recently, great martial arts flick on Criterion. Yeah, uh, that was the one I saw. I saw a couple clips clips um, from... That's a hoot. Oh your... my god! Oh my on my on my social media. Um, yeah. Here's like really a really great recommendation because this is like another thing. I'm obsessed with movies that have really um, uncharismatic portrayals of the Christmas season. Um, and <laughs> Star Trek Generations. Yeah, is, oh great! My God, it's just like Patrick Stewart in his little space suit, like crying in front of a Christmas tree, looking at a photo album of children that he doesn't have. <laughs> like, I wish I had kids, oh, I'm sad. And I'm like, where the fuck are, why is any of this happening? This, they spent $50 million on this. <laughs> There's also a great Santa Claus movie from 1985. They spent twice the budget of Blade Runner just to show like wooden toys and john lithgow getting killed in space oh this uh, is great what's this movie called it's called santa claus colon the movie, santa claus, the movie. <laughs> it is, is john lithgow santa claus john lithgow is a villainous executive who wants to invent christmas 2 <laughs> which <would have> been, <laughs> like in like june or something as like a sequel to christmas uh, the guy who plays the older Lebowski and the big Lebowski play Santa mm-hmm. Claus yeah. and you see like the guys who become Santa Claus you see him die at the beginning frozen in snow yeah and then Dudley Moore thaws him out and goes like well here's the next 500 years of your life do you <laughs> this incredible. reminds me of Austin Powers yeah he's like yeah. out yeah he's like <laughs> from the 60s with, with his like a hairy chest yeah yeah <laughs> all his groovy clothes yeah it's a great <laughs> That's classics a, yeah no I, I i just saw i think the i think the most recent like amazing movie i just saw was blood simple yeah that movie oh, just man. like blew my mind and that's another that's another like movie that just extends way beyond its budget like i think i think i think that both these movies actually have in common that that they don't feel constrained by their budget despite being very small budget like there's yeah. certain movies if you watch even like Escape from New York, you're like, ah, if James Cameron directed this, it would have a bigger set piece here or something. Like, mm. there, there's movies, there's movies where you feel them sort of constraining the budget, and those are the those are like Blood Simple and this are both movies where like, you, it doesn't, 
you don't feel it at all. You don't feel that they are, they are able to articulate things in such a way that, you know, the budgetary question never really comes up for me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Watching them. Um, did you ever, do you have like the DVD of blood simple with the, the, the commentary that the Coens wrote for it? I don't. Is it, is it good? It's really funny. Yeah. Because they're just taking the piss out of commentaries. And so it's like <laughs> some, you know, some uh, TCM sounding motherfucker going like, oh yeah, they had to shoot this scene upside down and backwards in the car because they had to shoot it from behind like three mirrors or something. It's a, it's a really cute commentary. And more importantly, <laughs> it's like, it's more Coen Brothers original writing about filmmaking you know, for an hour and a half. And that's Which there isn't stuff. enough out of out of in the in the <laughs> for yeah. sure. With the budget stuff, yeah, they just have to get creative. You have to get really creative. Yeah. You have yeah. to get really creative, and um, yeah, I mean, even I I, I even watch like a hundred fifty million dollar movies sometimes, and I'm like, and I'm like, ah, oh, I can see where they sort of cut a corner there. Mm. You know, I mean, I mean, it, it's it's almost like the budget doesn't matter so much as how how creative you are with it. In some and way. also sometimes at certain budget levels the spontaneity becomes a liability mm -hmm. um with without amount of money on the line you have a bigger and bigger gun held at your head <laughs> yeah. in terms of uh, being able to make certain decisions um i guess like okay so blood simple debut film uh this film strange little cat debut film i did see kelly reichardt's i think it's her first feature um river of grass uh, Kelly like Reichardt, she has like the she has that new movie First Cow out right yeah. now, which I again I almost I almost wanted to do First Cow for this just because I want to see the cute cow like stand on the river or whatever. I've heard it does. that the cow is beautiful in that. Yeah, like they cast the most beautiful cow they could find. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the only standard I think. Um, uh, Reichardt says that yeah, we're just looking for the prettiest cow. Oh, that's great! So, like that's a good philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's and a, it's just a great. It's not two bros making cookies. Like that's a film. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the cookies and the cow. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. Yeah, um, I'm 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 sorry if I went too off on a tangent. Is, is there is there anything else you really kind of want to touch on with Strange Little Cat? Um. I just want to encourage anybody at all to watch The Strange Little Cat. Apparently, it's on four streaming platforms. It's yeah. in Mubi Library. It's on Tubi as well. I guess it's on Canopy. And if it's all you got, I guess you can watch it on Amazon Prime. But check out Tubi, Mubi, or Canopy first, please. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, it's pretty widely available. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna try to do some hard promoting of Strange <laughs> in advance to make sure I'm everyone's gonna, seen gonna it sink for your podcast. We're <laughs> <laughs> gonna go all in on the on the weird cat movie and everyone. Guys, <laughs> you need to see this weird cat movie. I do feel like the length helps. I mean, it's a very it's a very approachable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one one just one brief thought on that. Like, I I wish I I sort of I like when movies are able are are willing to go shorter. Like, mm -hmm. like it, it, it's, it, it's, it's 70 minutes and, you know, it's, it's, it's very short, but it, it feels, it feels, it feels like the right amount of time to tell the story. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like, I feel like a worse director would have dragged it out to an hour 40 to make it more prestige. And then, mm -hmm. you know, and then I don't know what else you'd fill in in that time, but it's, it just, it just feels, it just, it just feels like the right amount of time to tell that story. I think the only other movies that I've seen that are that length, which is a, completely different side of filmmaking but like all the old like 
universal horror movies are like 70 minutes and they're just perfect yeah. they're just perfect in that like i don't know what else they'd put in in another 30 minutes but they're just they're 70 minutes and like i just i just like I, I do like 70 minute movies and there's just not enough of them. I was going to say that's actually another, uh, like that's not a necess necessity anymore for me, but yeah, if you can get your movie to me in under 80 minutes, eh, it's going to at least earn you a, a smile. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know? For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. And, and this isn't to say I don't like, I don't like a long movie. I just, I just think, I just think a variety of lengths is sometimes some, something that people aren't willing to explore. Yeah. That's all I have for this. Um, I guess we can wrap it up. We've been talking for a little over an hour. This is this has oh, been. Oh shit! Okay. This has been. This is. I think so. I, I don't remember what time we started actually. I haven't paid attention to time in I don't know how long because I stopped <laughs> paying attention to time. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Well, like, thank you so much for coming on. Like, oh, thank my pleasure. Thank yeah. You for anything. Thank, yeah. Hey. Thank you for everything. This has been like an amazing conversation. I feel like I feel I feel enlightened. I feel like I feel so much more knowledgeable than I was at the start of this. So. Oh, there, there you go. It's been good. And uh, go, go to sleep and forget about it, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've I've had people close out by saying, uh, whatever movie quote they'd like. In oh, yeah. Whatever character. movie voice. Yeah. Um, in whatever movie voice. It's gonna be a Speed Racer quote in in Bane voice. <laughs> Uh, but go for oh, it. They don't have it on IMDb. Of course they don't. They don't have any of the good Speed Racer lines here on IMDb. Cowards. <laughs> <clears throat> la 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 Bane. <laughs> Holy cannoli, Speed. Do you know who you're racing? That's Holy cannoli, Speed. Do you know who you're racing? Classic line from Speed Racer, the movie. Um, Speed Racer, by, the movie, which I did I, in 3D when it came out. Uh, Speed Racer wasn't. Oh man, Speed Racer is a fucking killer movie, man. It was. It was. <sighs> it was like very, very in 3D. It's like very yeah. overly 3D. Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw um, somebody did a re recut of it, like um, vaporwave style, so that the the soundtrack and um, and mood is you know that teal and uh, pink you know, throughout mm -hmm. and a uh, very interesting experience. Yeah. That sounds yeah. awesome. That sounds awesome. Paige, any thoughts on your quote? Uh, what's that one in Breakfast at Tiffany's where she's talking to the cat or she's yelling for the cat? cat. She's, she's just yelling cat. cat. That's actually very appropriate for this <laughs> That's movie. That's what I was thinking. Cat. <laughs> oh, cat. Oh, cat. Oh, cat. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I think you. it's something like that. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop recording here. But thank you, thank okay. you so much for for coming on, Charlie. This has been oh, like thank a thank you really, for having me. This is great. Awesome conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cineflag, and I will see you next week.